Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel according to John, the first chapter, the first five verses. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. May God bless our understanding of this sacred scripture. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have promised you some words about words and the word. That was my clever title for a sermon that has been a long time coming. My sermons tend to take a while to marinate or germinate, whichever metaphor you prefer. I can pinpoint precisely when I started working on this one. I was 19 and deeply committed to the project of figuring out my place in the world. Unlike your typical college students who felt their Friday, spent their Friday nights at frat parties, I don't know who might else have been, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I divided my time between poetry readings and church. The poetry readings were held at Brady's Cafe, a smoke-filled coffee house on Main Street. Poets scrawled their names on a piece of notebook paper to claim five minutes or so at the microphone, reading their words to the gathered crowd. Only the hardiest folks made it to the bitter end. It was often nearly midnight by the time the last poet cleared her throat. We were deep into the list the night I started this sermon. I had moved from my favorite spot in the upstairs loft to the table where Mage Reagan sat. Mage was the beloved center of the poetry community. He was everyone's teacher, friend, and mentor. His was the one voice that could hush every last conversation. Everyone wanted to hear his words, wise and funny and heartbroken and rough around the edges. He wrote about the places he loved. He wrote about the people he loved. He wrote about Buddhism and bars, horse racing and Hubbard squash. Well, there was only one poem about Hubbard squash, but I do love alliteration. I'm going on too long about this figure at the head of the table, but even as I try to tell you this story, it's impossible not to pause and pay homage to Mage. I sat there at his table, half listening to the poetry and fully pondering the bakery case full of homemade bread. Hours of poetry will give one an appetite, so after a few stanzas, 
I traded a $5 bill for a big loaf of whole wheat. It hadn't been sliced, so as the words of the poetry crackled through the speakers, I took the bread, gave thanks for it, and broke it. And as I watched the poets pass the bread around the circle, crumbs scattering into cups of lukewarm coffee, I realized I was witnessing and participating in a sacrament. Word and sacrament. That was the moment the pieces of my identity shifted into place. The moment I learned that the part of me that was a poet and the part of me that would be a pastor were in fact one and the same. And yet, I've only rarely read poetry in worship. Somewhere along the way, I heard someone say, you shouldn't. Poetry isn't accessible. Poetry doesn't play by the same rules as liturgy, which is why the word bush tit was in the pastoral prayer, and I had to talk Rich through whether or not he was mature enough to read that poem in worship. Sorry, bus, rich, under. <laughs> I'm fairly sure that there have been poems hidden in some of my prayers, just as I used to tuck prayers into some of my poetry. But last week, I was in Michigan at the Festival of Faith and Writing, a big gathering of nerdy Christians, which is basically my favorite thing in the whole world. I taught a workshop about poetry and prayer. As I reflected on the experience, I was struck by the impulse to invite some poems to church, to share them with you on a Sunday morning. So eager was I to do this thing that early last week I asked Rich to switch preaching dates with me. For reasons I couldn't name, it felt urgent. Poetry isn't really something typically associated with urgency. Indeed, one of the reasons I've been more drawn to it than ever is because it forces me to slow down. Poetry is the antithesis of cable news. In this world of war crimes and car commercials, poems quietly but firmly insist on drawing our attention to matters of ordinary beauty and ultimate importance. And if we thought for a moment that poetry is too pretty to be powerful, too dainty to be a force in this world. May I remind you that our sacred scriptures tell us that the world was created by a word, that this word became flesh and dwelt among us. We are people of the book, inheritors of a rich library of stories and psalms, epistles and apocalypse. We of all people should know and love the potency of language. We of all people should tune our ears to the poets. 
before I let the poetry speak for itself, a word. On Thursday, our beloved Mage Reagan died, his body long compromised by the consequences of childhood polio. It turns out it was urgent. Today I read these poems in his honor. And on the Sunday in May, I was supposed to preach. We'll be gathering by the Cuyahoga River to honor the beloved bard of Kent, Ohio. There will be bread and coffee and poem after poem after poem. Small Wire by Anne Sexton. My faith is a great weight hung on a small wire, as doth the spider hang her baby on a thin web, as doth the vine twiggy and wooden hold up grapes like eyeballs, as many angels dance on the head of a pin. God does not need too much wire to keep him there. Just a thin vein with blood pushing back and forth in it and some love. As it has been said, love and a cough cannot be concealed. Even a small cough, even a small love. So if you have only a thin wire, God does not mind. He will enter your hands as easily as 10 cents used to bring forth a Coke. Good Bones by Maggie Smith. And this one has a bad word in it, but I decided we can all handle it. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. One poem of mine, Jesus Rests, also written when I was 19. For months now, I have slipped you in between words, crafting fancy capitalizations to note my leavening faith. Mage has taught me to give things names, so I'll address you properly. Jesus, come sit down. 
Bring your blues. Take off your shoes. I'll boil water for tea, though I think you would prefer a sweet beer. It is not easy to be Jesus. We're all drawing you, defining you, making you hang in defeat on our church crosses and sit in our avocado green upholstered chairs. I'm not sure what to apologize for to celebrate. I would like you to be the jester who sang that Paul Simon song in my ear while I meditated last spring. Jesus, let me be one of your frenzied disciples. I think I've caught on to the punchline of your grace. It's that tarnished to-do, that sanitized imperative about loving you and all our grouchy neighbors with the ambition of a tightrope walker. Let me be saturated with that gritty love. Hear my jangly prayer. Let me be the funky moon of heaven. I'll write my maudlin lines in hearty worship, thanking you always for the random kicks and polished miracles salting my revolutions. And one more by Mage. A haircut in Standing Rock Cemetery. My wife and I roll down through the cemetery to the Cuyahoga River, the paved road leading to the Great Council Rock standing midstream. New graves have begun to appear in the open grassy field, tombstone toadstools, new dirt. We pass yesterday's grave, white wicker flower baskets overturned on the mound, fresh blush of gladiolus. I lock the wheels on the chair at the river's edge. Its clear waters cut around the base of standing rock. Lou stands behind me and begins to snip. I close my eyes and I lean into her breasts. She straightens me up with a firm hand. Snip, snip. I wish to be pruned for the new season. Hold still, she says. The locks of gray find their way to the grass. I tell her if a witch finds these cuttings of hair, I'm in trouble. Do you think there are any witches around here? I don't know. Five more minutes and fall arrives. Lou, let's be quiet and see if we can feel the earth tilt at that moment. At 6.22, the breeze stops as if between breaths. Then it stirs. It is fall. Hold still, she says, just a little more. Lou, look at the light on the river near the rock. It has changed. What does that make you feel, she asks. I say this as if another man inside me is speaking and I cannot stop him. I feel that my heart has gone out into the world and it will not come back. And now, dear friends, may we cup the spirit in our open palms. May we forgive and forget the expletive in the second poem. 
May we open our hearts to this beautiful world, even though it will break them. May we sit quietly with Christ. And may we listen deeply to words and the word. Amen.